0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike. I am here with Dante and Tommy, as usual. Fellas, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? Nobody ever asks you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose I'm doing all right. There you go. Yeah. it's good. I'm also doing well. Great. I'm glad to hear it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Today we are going to uh, talk about uh, several subjects, which I uh, don't know why I felt it necessary to clarify that. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the new contracts that were signed since our last episode, uh, those being Frank Jackson and Hamidou Diallo. Uh, we're going to talk about who uh, might go in order to get the Pistons down to 15 uh NBA contracts by the start of the season. And then we're just going to do some reviews and previews uh, on a few players. So we're just doing that in sort of hybrid fashion. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors.
1: You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And now a payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and it's extremely simple to do. Just draft your lineup, feel the sweat and make every moment mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users all across sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's absolutely no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app now and sign up using code TBPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code TBPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.
0: All right. So most recent and biggest news is Hamadou Diallo being signed to a contract two years, $10.4 million with a player option, excuse me, a team option in the second season. Um, This contract is completely and utterly bizarre to me. Uh, I don't know why Diallo didn't just take the qualifying offer rather than signing for two years and putting himself in team control over the second year. I don't
2: know. Maybe, I mean, maybe he believes that this is still the best role for him. I mean, the Pistons obviously believe in him too. uh to some extent they traded for him. It's obviously one of Weaver's guys, but I like, I mean, obviously I like it. We were all talking, you know, a few months ago and everybody was kind of like looking in the range of, uh, he's going to get like 30 over three. I wanted 27 over three, but for the fact, the fact that he's just over 5 million a year, that's great value. And uh, for a guy who could, potentially start who has a very high ceiling I think it's great value
1: yeah I I, I tend to agree on it being great value I also think uh, Mike has referenced this I think he said it several times actually if you just look at the players on the roster in a vacuum I, and I guess he said this before uh, Cade was here but Hamadou really does appear to have the highest ceiling um, he's just a crazy crazy athlete and the shooting while it's still not entirely there uh sort of came along a little bit as the season progressed. So to get him at what we did um was shocking to say the least. But then when you kind of take a step back and you survey sort of the greater landscape of the NBA, not a whole lot of teams had a bunch of money. And so it sort of behooved Weaver to kind of rest on his laurels a little bit, wait, kind of hang back and eventually he was able to scoop him up at a at a bargain. So I'm overall pretty happy with it.
0: Right, I'm super happy with with the contract amount and uh, two years also. I mean, basically, it's it, it, it's a good situation for the Pistons. I thought that Hamadou was going to bet on himself, uh, which could have just meant him taking the qualifying offer. Qualifying offer, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, restricted free agent, takes the qualifying offer basically just one year, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So I really thought Hamadou would bet on himself, and he did the opposite of that. So I wonder, I mean, I got to think that the market was just not there for him. The only team, actually, that had more than the mid-level exception to offer by way of an offer sheet was the Thunder. Obviously, they weren't going to do that. You know, they got rid of him for peanuts. So I got to think that, yeah, the market just seemingly did not exist. Uh, Maybe teams were dissuaded by the fact that the Pistons would have matched any any offer sheet at the mid-level exception. But I'm happy with the price, certainly. Happy he's going to stay. And Dante, I agree that he's got... Uh, after Cade, probably the highest ceiling in the team, I would say, because his athleticism, he's already great at driving in the net. And if he can get that shot down, then it's a very difficult to guard guy. Um, yeah, so uh, pretty satisfied all altogether. You guys have any further thoughts about Hamadou?
2: No, I think that uh, that probably takes us on to Frank Jackson. I, again, I just echo your thoughts. Great value contract, and I'm really, again, yeah, really surprised he didn't take the qualifying offer. I thought by the end of it, that was kind of what he was going to lean towards doing. Maybe they just... Looked at next year. A lot of teams figured to not have too much in the way of cap space. And they thought this was probably the best situation for them in terms of the role that Hamadou is likely to get.
0: Oh, I will say uh, another good thing. I mean, assuming the Pistons, and it kind of looks like this based on uh, Troy Weaver signings, a lot of two year contracts that are team options on almost all of them. So if, as it sort of appears, well, for a Linux contract at least, that he might be looking at 2023. So Diallo if they if if they keep him on his team option if he does well he goes into that cap into that off season with a pretty small cap hold which is which is very you know it's just useful if you want to you know have the maximum amount of cap space. So anyway yeah Frank Jackson. So uh he was signed to a contract just about you know very you know very very similar to that of Diallo. Uh well not in terms of in terms of money, you know, two years, six point two million. Uh, but the second year, just like Hamadou's is a team option. So, how do we feel about that? Yeah, really, really happy with this one. I really
2: wanted us to bring Frank back because one of the things that this team struggled with was spacing. And going into the next season, even um, I'm not sold on the idea that a lot of the guys who were kind of relying on as three point shooters are going to be all that great. And I think Frank is just he just proved to be a little, uh, pretty stable, I think, as a three-point shooter. And as the year went on, I thought he got better and better at it once he kind of found his role. Uh, I think as an off-ball threat, he's a great fit in at $3 million a year, functionally. He's fantastic value, I think. Um, we just moved on from Sibimakailuk, S- McI- and we've effectively found
0: uh, the replacement for that. And we have Hamadou Diallo. Yeah, I would say that he's more of a replacement for Wayne Ellington. Uh, with whom, if I remember correctly, he actually worked on shooting last season. I kind of poo-pooed the the notion that Ellington was actually mentoring anybody, and it turns out I was incorrect. So, completely agree. This is cheap spacing and a motion three-point shooter. I felt like last season, certainly as as the season went on, he became better and better, almost to a kind of annoying degree, the point at which the Pistons (laughs) were trying to win games. Obviously, that won't be annoying next season. Mm -hmm. But guy who can shoot motion threes, uh, he can attack off the ball, He's pretty good at doing that. He runs the floor well in transition. So I'm happy with it. Cheap signing, good spacing, you know, good for spacing. And that's something the Pistons definitely need. Now I've got to say, I think that the space, some of the the guys they brought in, for example, Trey Lyles, um, you know, he has just had a couple of really bizarre down seasons from three, but for the most part is a high 30s three-point shooter. You have uh, Olenek, who's a fairly reliable three-point shooter. Again, he has his down years, um, but in general, pretty good. So you add that to, um, to Bay and uh, hopefully Stewart's and Grant's and you have a team that has, you know, average spacing maybe, and probably a little bit worse than average, but definitely Frank Jackson, I think was an important guy to return.
1: Uh, no, I totally agree. I like to think of Frank Jackson as Wayne Ellington, but 10 years younger and with hair. Um, a lot of hair. Yeah, a lot of hair. Guy's got a lot of hair, and uh, I like watching it bounce around when he's, he's like sprinting back and forth. Nobody else on the team really has that effect aesthetically, but as far as him as a player is concerned, yeah, I, I, I echo what you guys have said to a T. I think it was important to bring him back, and I think it sort of reflects um, Weaver and Casey and the organization's vision to really implement and bring in a, a ton of shooting just a ton i know mike you already touched on it you've got olenic you've got cade you've got all of the second round picks and retaining frank was was a big one and uh tommy and i have spoken about this um off recording quite a number of times but you know if spot minutes become available slotting in at the two next to cade um maybe something happens where killian isn't ready to go or there's just a mix and match of lineups i think frank would be a pretty decent starter there and i think he could get some good run and um It's always important to have a floor spacer, and I think the fact that he's so young, too, is an underrated aspect of what makes this signing so good. He's got room to grow, so as much as I like him now, there's potential for me to like him even more in the future.
0: I don't know if I think he's got much more space to grow. I think the guy's probably pretty near his ceiling, unless he can add some sort of shooting right off the dribble. Uh, but, yeah, just just going to note, uh, yeah, not all of the second-round picks. I mean, uh, Balsa is, uh, as far as I know, not sure. forgot a about lead. Balsa. Always
1: yeah. forget about that guy.
0: Yeah. So, Balsa, by the way, has signed a deal with a team overseas. So, this is what I think a lot of people expected, which is that he was stashed. Uh, stashed basically means he doesn't count against the cap. He doesn't count against the roster limit. And uh, that that's what was done with, with Davidas Servitas in uh, his first season after being drafted. So, uh, yeah. So, Frank, as far as being in the starting lineup, I would say probably a little bit too much of a defensive liability. (laughs) Last year, the Pistons, I have very vivid memories of this. Pistons were playing against the Rockets. Uh, No, wait. It was the Nets, actually, because it was after Harden had been traded. But uh, basically, all the Nets were doing was switching Harden onto Jackson, and then Harden would obliterate him in isolation. Don't get me wrong. Harden's a good player, a very good, what am I saying? Good player and elite player, like one of the greatest scorers in the world and the great isolation scorer. but they were yeah, going straight. Better. Yeah. They were going straight for Frank on every play. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this is a guy two years, $6 million. Absolutely. You take it. Like, I'm, and I'm, I'm happy with it.
2: Yeah. When, when, what Dante was referencing was a conversation that we were kind of having a little while ago and it'll come to a question that I wanted to ask once we got to, uh, Josh Jackson because I think that kind of wraps up all the the signings that the Pistons are most likely going to make uh, at this point because those were the two that everybody was kind of waiting on we wanted to see the number and I'm just really relieved uh, that they've gone ahead and made those signings. And now there are 16 guaranteed contracts. I think it's guaranteed contracts on the on the That's roster. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're all and fully they guaranteed. To, yeah. Yep, they need to cut them down. So that probably brings us to that discussion. That's been a a point of discussion amongst Pins- Pistons fans like who do, who do, who, do, who do the Pistons cut to get down to that 15 before
0: opening day. I feel pretty confident that it will be Jaleel Okafor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah the, me too. The only, the only other, I mean, a, a guy that we, we didn't mention because this is definitely not an under the radar signing, but this was basically a case of just, oh, we like this veteran, so we're going to bring him back and he'll do his thing in the locker room. Uh, and that is Roddy Magruder. So just signed for the one year veteran minimum uh, and just to be a veteran. And so that, that was what, you know, that, that's why the Pistons now have to get rid of somebody. But yeah, I, I don't see the Pistons. I've I really, 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 really doubt they will just part ways with Sekoud and Boya. They have nothing to lose by just keeping him unless they can get a good return by trade. And I don't think that's likely. Uh, also, I think that Trey Lyle is more or less, I mean, there's a guy who can play third string center. He's not a good interior defender, but neither is Okafor. And he can stretch the floor, which is very valuable. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. I think
2: it's it's Okafor as well. I think there was the, the, the three that it was kind of coming down to was Jaleel Okafor, maybe Josh Jackson, and then Seiko But I think out of those three, it's it's got to be Jaleel. We don't need him positionally. I don't think he fits very well into the motion offense that was starting to come around a little bit. And he's primarily a post player. So I don't know uh, if that's what you want to go with at your third string. So. Uh, I think it definitely makes the most sense to just move on from Ja and we already got his primary use out of him, which is no, we the got the number overall one pick. overall pick. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I think it just makes the most sense to keep Josh Jackson. I think I, I was looking at his stats earlier and I don't know if you want to talk about him too much right now, or if we can transition into that, but I was looking at Josh's stats and there's, I didn't see any significant drop off or change in percentages, whether he was playing as a starter or off the bench. I really just think that he's just a low IQ player but uh, maybe, I don't know, it, it depends on who you ask. Maybe you believe that that's the sort of thing that good coaching can fix or just limiting his or defining his role more uh, would mm-hmm. be able to fix. Whereas Ja, it's, it kind of comes down to his play style.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would I would definitely agree with the both of you. I think Ja is the odd man out. Um, I didn't hate the signing. I mean, there are some rare occasions, I guess, where Jaleel is like, okay, on offense, but I didn't think he was anything particularly noteworthy on defense, particularly noteworthy on the boards. And he just doesn't offer too, too much in the way of uh, long-term, good, positive potential outlook on this roster. And so I don't really see the purpose in keeping him on the team. I'm not a Magruder guy either. And and (laughs) if you guys have listened long enough, you know that I'm not a Josh Jackson guy either. But as far as a move that we need to make right now, I'd say Jaleel is probably on the chopping block and I'm not too, too upset about it.
0: Yeah, just to clarify, well, number one, the joke about Julio Okafor in the first overall pick is that, uh, you know, when he was with the Sixers in 2016-2017, they got first overall pick, which was uh, used, actually, both of his first two years. Uh, Ben Simmons was in 2016. Markel Fultz was in 2017. And then he moved on to the Pelicans, who got the first overall pick in 2019. And then to the Pistons in 2021. So, Uh, But second, when it comes to Jaleel, yeah, he has just very little to offer in general. I mean, yeah, he's a decent post player, nowhere near good enough to make it worthwhile. Uh, He's basically just a black hole who doesn't really have much ability as a passer. He's decent on a pick and roll, but he can't play above the rim. It's basically, you can hand the ball to him in the post, or you can hand it to him under the rim and he can finish easy opportunities. Can't shoot, can't play defense. Yeah. 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 I don't, it remains just the, all the rest of Weaver's signings have been decent. The Julio giving him two years was a little weird. Yeah. To me. It's yeah. not going to, not going to hurt anything, but.
1: No, it was a little odd. And, and, and I know Tommy wanted to break in with a question, but I had a quick one. I wanted to post to you guys. So if Okafor was not on the table, as far as who we wanted to cut, would you guys go with Magruder or you think you guys go, would, would go with Jackson?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, Magruder is just there as a veteran presence. I'd be surprised if he sees minutes uh, in this guard rotation. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't really think too highly of Josh. And we're going to we'll talk about more about Josh uh, later in the episode. He's one of the guys we're going to preview and preview. But, you know, I'd, I'd rather have him stick around. And who knows, maybe the guy... Uh, Against all expectations and all odds, becomes a reliable three point shooter, and then he's a uh, and then he's a useful three and D wing. I would probably stick with Magruder because I do believe in a little a little bit more in the
2: stuff that goes on in the locker room. And obviously, we're just fans; we don't get to see that stuff. But the fact that they brought him back, they must see real value in him. And, and I'm just kind of extrapolating from that: there has to be value there because Josh Jackson, his only value is going to be on the court. Like I don't think there's any I don't think anybody's looking to him for leadership. And right now, what he puts on the court. It's just not very good, and while there is definitely that chance, he's definitely going to be – he has he has more potential, certainly, than Mangruder, and he probably has more uh, direct impact on potentially winning basketball, but as it, things stand right now, he's not a part of that, and he doesn't contribute to that. He's a low-IQ player and very turnover-prone, doesn't pass the ball well. Uh, it, it, there's just a lot that he needs to do. Yes, I agree. He has the physicals, the body to become that kind of player where he could actually be decent. He went number four overall for a reason, but just what we've seen from him in terms of his IQ, uh, I just don't believe in it very much. So I would I would keep Magruder pr- personally.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think I would have to agree with you, Tommy, in this instance. Um, I'm not a huge, gigantic Magruder fan, but there definitely is something to veteran leadership. And if we didn't think that before, I mean, we kind of understand now having witnessed this past season, how positive of an impact, uh, a cultural shift or setting a cultural baseline can have on a young building team. And I don't think that Josh offers much aside from his immediate skill on the court and his immediate skill on the court to me is just not uh, in any way, shape or form, justifiable in the context of all of the possessions and all of the shots that he soaks up. He's just not enjoyable to watch for me. So if I had to make the choice and Okafor wasn't there, yeah, I would probably have to be saying goodbye to Josh Malice at the palace aside.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, McGruder, yeah, obviously he provides something important behind the scenes, but I think this team has enough veteran leadership as it is. All right. So why don't we move on to Josh Jackson? So this is going to be the first segment in, in a series we'll be doing as we march closer to the beginning of the regular season, which is player previews slash, excuse me, player reviews slash previews. So we'll be reviewing what they did last season or how they did and really what they'll need to work on. Ideally, and what we hope to see from them in the, in the upcoming season, and what we think the role will be. And so today we're going to go with Josh Jackson, Frank Jackson, and Hamidou Diallo. So we start with Josh Jackson. We've spoken with him. We've spoken about him, rather, quite a bit in the show, uh, very little of it good. And just uh, last season, he was – really what he did well was play defense, and what he did not do well was everything else. He was a minus on offense. He was one of the very worst volume three-point shooters in the entire league. You know, almost all of the very few players behind him were rookies. He was a ball stopper, a black hole, super turnover prone, really bad at setting up his teammates, decent at scoring at the rim, but that's not enough, and he had to operate with the ball in his hands, and he's not good enough for that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my opinion of Josh Jackson's season. Yeah, I think if you're looking at what he could contribute,
2: there's already so much overlap with guys who kind of play the same position or who can slot in at the same spot that he does. Guys like Hamadou, guys like Frank Jackson, perhaps Killian Hayes or Corey Joseph, if they want to play the off-ball role. And when you factor all of that in, I'm not bullish on you know his what he could be next year. So... As far as like what he could improve on, I think
0: you've mentioned this in the past several times, well, Mike. It's, I mean, first, what, what do you do? You have any further thoughts about about his season? Like, uh, yeah, season actually, essence. he was
2: he was one of those at the start of last season. He was one of those five guys that we were all we we had done that series where it was uh, Jeremy Grant, uh, Josh Jackson, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, and Killian Hayes, and we were kind of periodically checking in on them. And the whole time, it was just I think it's 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 the lack of growth that he showed. And he just didn't really improve really in any, in any facet. Like he started some games, he was off the bench, I think the bulk of the season, but he didn't really improve uh, statistically regardless of where he was. It was just, he would make the same mistakes regardless of who was in front of him. And I think that's because his athleticism is there. He has the tools to succeed, but he's not smart enough as a player uh, to make the right decisions. Uh, There were a lot of times where he would put his head down and just attack and oftentimes that went poorly for him and there were times he also also can't shoot yeah exactly and when you put all that together it's just it's not a very good player you know low IQ can't shoot Uh, when you have put him on the ball uh, defensively I agree with you he played well but uh, just wasn't very good otherwise
1: yeah yeah I I I think you guys have touched on it on Jackson started the season all right, in my opinion. I actually remember a few times or a few instances where I'd be watching these games and almost be excited about him and almost be excited about his long-term potential and long-term fit. But I wouldn't even say that he didn't improve. I would actually take it as far as he's actually regressed as the season went on. He became a worse shooter, more of a black hole probably the most untalented passer I've ever seen at the NBA level. And he just has the (laughs) lowest basketball IQ. I know it's funny, but I honestly do mean that. And he has one of the lowest basketball IQs that I've ever seen. He's thoroughly unenjoyable to watch. And I know this may seem harsh, but it's difficult to, on the one hand, have the organization talking about establishing this team mentality, this winning culture. And then on the other hand, sort of allow Josh to just be a black hole whenever he's on the court. And I didn't have fun watching him and I don't anticipate he's really carved out a long term role for himself on the team. Um, I think that he's become expendable, especially now with Diallo's extension. And I'm on record as saying, I believe that Diallo is a younger, better, higher upside version of Josh. Because yeah, the two of them have the physical skills. And it's very easy to look at someone like Jackson and say, well, he went fourth overall, look at the, you know, the physical potential, but almost everybody in the NBA is a physical specimen. You know, I, I realize that not everybody's a top five pick, but it's rare to be able to blend your physical prowess with your mental acuity. And Josh just not does just just does not, excuse me, do those two things well. So not high on his potential in the slightest. And his season went from okay to meh to not very good at all.
0: I would say, athletically speaking, even by NBA standards, Josh Jackson is really an upper tier athlete, just in terms of, you know, he's, he's a fairly explosive player. He's... Uh, definitely a good leaper, You know, he, he's up there as far as athleticism goes, but that's nowhere near enough, of course. And he legitimately on offense. I mean, even notwithstanding his issues with IQ, which I don't think are ever going to go away. I mean, some players can read and react other players just can't. And I think he falls into the latter category. And I think he's proven that in my opinion, pretty definitively. He's not a guy who's going to be able to attack and make the right read and the right pass. This is a guy, I think, who's really in the lower, lower, lower tiers of the NBA in terms of basketball IQ, at least offensively speaking. But like, yeah, when we were excited at the beginning of the season, that's because he was, during that span, before his early injury, he was shooting upwards of 70% of the rim on volume. That's not going to (laughs) last. You know, that just was not going to last. And he ended the season below 60%, which isn't bad, but. Not good for a guy who's really as bread and butter as attacking the basket. Um, but yeah, he just, he was, he was bad overall. And in my opinion, like just, if you're looking at a player's value, so you take his value and subtract his opportunity cost. So opportunity cost is basically what, you know, what is the cost of having him on the floor? So yeah, you have that opportunity cost. And then the value of course, production on and off the score sheet. And Intangibles and fit, of course, fit can go on either side of the category. So Josh Jackson just has a huge opportunity cost on offense because he has to have the ball. He can't shoot. He can't play make for others. And like basically, you got to hand him the ball and let him go to work. And he's nowhere near good enough to do that. That's my opinion on him. So, now what do we think he's going to have to do next season to? Uh, Actually, really, remain in the rotation at all, and this pretty crowded rotation on the wing and at guard.
1: Bribe somebody. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I really don't think he he fits the the new look. I mean, it's you can only go so far as to say how new look the Pistons are in one off season, but we've it's we've really revolutionized the culture here. I think Weaver and Casey have, and I just, I don't know if we're trying to really make sure that that Cade gets his run. And then on the bench, I'm not, I am not. I feel like Killian might start. I'm not sure how that's going to go long-term as far as uh, in-depth into the season goes. But presumably on the second unit, we want guys who are going to need to give run to as well. And Josh just, it's like you said, Mike, high opportunity costs. He dominates touches. He's not particularly, well, particularly, he's not efficient with them at all. And so you got to kind of weigh, is it worth maybe someone who's a little bit bit of a decent score right now versus the opportunity cost of having him out there. So I don't know what minutes he's going to find honestly, and the only thing I can think of to really solidify his spot both short term and long term is to drastically improve his basketball IQ and his efficiency. And unfortunately, I don't see either of those things happening in as short as one off season.
2: Yeah, even if he would just pick up his three point shooting to like an acceptable level where he's he's getting guarded a little bit closer. And this is a lot of players who aren't shooting the ball very well that would open up his game a lot because he does obviously really like attacking the basket. It's just everybody collapses on him. And then he's not the kind of player who kicks it out well enough or often enough to where that's, you know, good offense. And I don't know if this is something that um, the team is going to try to emphasize in this upcoming season, but I I liked it when they were starting to run more of that drive and kick offense. I've mentioned that a million times on here. I I love that, uh, you know, attack the basket, kick it out and just create advantages that way. Um, and the more th- good three-point shooters you have, the more athleticism you have, and the more guys who are willing to move actively off the ball you have, um, the the more likely are to make that work. And Josh Jackson, he just no parts of his game really work with that. So as far as like the new look Pistons, I just don't see him fitting in very well there. Uh, so as far as what he needs to improve on, I think in a, in addition to what you said, Dante, with efficiency at the, at the rim and um, improving IQ is if that's like something that can be coached. Uh, the three point shooting uh, would be a point of emphasis for me, because as far as being like that do it all player that maybe he was projected to be coming into the season, coming into the NBA rather. I don't know if that's feasible anymore, but it definitely has to start with improving your shooting from distance.
0: Yeah, I would say like, I agree. I, I don't think Josh Jackson is going to be the sort of takeover scorer whom the, the Suns hoped he would be. When they drafted him fourth overall and subsequently kicked him to the curb two years later, though, to to be fair, I don't know if this is really to be fair to Josh, it's to be fair to his basketball skill. That was because of behavioral issues, which have presumably been resolved. But I agree with the both of you. He just sticks out like a sore thumb in that he doesn't really play team basketball. So if he could become a reliable three-point shooter, high thirties, and you drastically reduce his role on the ball, you're only letting him handle the ball against severe mismatches. And he's just taking threes, moving off the ball, catching lobs, uh, you know, attacking open lanes from off the ball, and then running the floor in transition. If he can do that, then you have a valuable player, in my opinion. You can never have enough athletic 3 and D wings. But just him improving his shot is a lot to ask. He's done a really bad job of that so far. All right. And, and yeah, as far as the rotation, yeah, he's uh, last season, he got to attack on volume because the Pistons are really bad team and this season, just everything is much more crowded. All right. Anything to add on Josh before we move on to Frank Jackson?
1: No, I think we uh, think we sufficiently covered it. I hope I wasn't too harsh on him, but I feel pretty passionate on the matter. I, I just, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. He sticks out like a sore thumb and he seems like a cool dude. I just do not enjoy him as a player on the Pistons specifically right now.
0: All right on. So uh, Tommy, I know that you are a particularly big fan of Frank Jackson. Uh, what did you think of how he performed in this last season? Yeah, I do love uh, Frank Jackson's game. I think he could be a very important part of
2: the future. So I was watching in preparation for this. I was watching some of his highlights and there was a compilation of all his made threes uh, from the past season. And initially when I watched like immediately, I was like oh, his, his release is a lot slower than I remember. Or I like, it was a slow release, and you could see it like happening throughout this video. His release sped up, and I loved that. That was real improvement. And then uh, he was starting to move a little bit more off ball and making use of screens. And obviously, when we started to think, when you go back to last season, he started as kind of like a secondary ball. He was he started off as like a ball handler, and people hated it. That wasn't his role. But once we took him off ball and kind of made him a shooter. I think he he thrived, and I think he's established himself in that role. So, um, I really was very happy with what we f- we found in him. And when you factor in the price, I think he can be a very very good player.
0: I think he did. He's he's a very very good off ball mover. Yeah, that's what struck me. He is he is energetic and aggressive, and very well conditioned. Clearly, and he's also quick. So Wayne Ellington is also very good in in this. He's Wayne Ellington, I mean, part of his bread and butter is just changing direction and speed very quickly and just finding himself some sort of shot from around the screen. And Frank was effective at that, but also he's explosive enough. He's not, he's not athletic or rather high-level athlete in a traditional sense. He's not particularly explosive, but he can move at somewhat explosively off the ball. And if you get it to him in motion... And he's going to do a fairly good job with it. Uh, one thing he did not do well at at all last season was play make for others. He does not have a talent for that.
2: Yeah. I'm really happy you brought that up because that was one of the things that I noticed, like as, as this compilation goes on, he's diversifying the way he's getting a shot. And part of that was certainly the off ball movement. And it's one of those things that like everybody wants a guy who can reliably move around on the perimeter, catch the ball, put it up quickly. And as the season went on, Frank got better and better at that. Like one of the things I noticed was uh, Frank doesn't need to bring the ball down to get his shot off. Like if he catches the ball high, he can push it, He can just put it straight up. He was finding different ways to speed up his release. And that's, that's what good three point shooters do. That's what, uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you want to see from him. That's the improvement that you're looking for. When you talk about what a guy needs to get better at to be a role playing three point shooter, that's exactly what you want. So that was one of the things I saw. And then another thing that really impressed me that he did last season was making use of screens on the perimeter. So Frank Jackson, he can he can legitimately shoot off movement. Not a lot of guys can do that. Like that was one of the things that we were talking about. We want Sadiq Bey to start doing. Frank Jackson can actually do it already. And he was making use of guys who would come up to the perimeter, like bigs who would set a screen on the perimeter he would see where his man is and then he would relocate to make sure they were properly stuck behind that screen and he could get that shot off. So I really do think that Frank Jackson could be like a very good young player and uh, a very good value contract for uh, the role that he plays because you, I I legitimately think if it comes to it, he could start and he would provide value there just with his spacing. And uh, as in, in terms of being like a guy who could, uh, play low volume and low usage, but be very efficient because he can just space the floor and make things easier for others.
1: Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. And that's sort of what I was alluding to when I mentioned earlier in the episode that I thought Frank had some upside. Uh, I see what you were saying, Mike, when you mentioned how you, you weren't really totally on board with that, but it's sort of as Tommy said, in that you could see his progression both as a shot creator and just as a motion shooter in general, Um, just continue to improve throughout the year. And I think that sort of speaks to the fact that he does have some untapped potential left. And look, it's, it's like we've touched on so many times. It was frustrating, extraordinarily so, when Frank was performing well and we wanted to lose games. But now that presumably the Pistons are trying to win some games, I feel like I'll like him, you know, a lot more. And he ended the season on a very high note. He had a really nice run of high levels of efficiency and high levels of, of scoring. What's really not there quite yet is the uh playmaking and the defense. But overall, I I think he performed very well. I think he'll continue to improve. I'm happy to have him on the contract that we we've gotten him on. And it's sort of the same story both with him and Diallo. These are young guys who, in my opinion, have some upside. Uh Diallo more than Jackson, but in terms of Jackson in particular, I just can't help but feel like there's something untapped there that uh we may have stumbled onto a a, a bit of a gem. So I'm excited to see his long-term future with the team.
0: Uh, One thing uh, I I mentioned this a few minutes ago, Uh, one downside of Frank is that you, I mean, you don't have to have all guys who can handle the ball, but you absolutely don't want Frank Jackson handling the ball. The guy has very poor, I would say, passing vision. He's a guy who, (laughs) it's funny, we just talked about Josh Jackson, who's got some some sort of tunnel vision. Uh, Frank doesn't take bad shots, and he's not always looking for his own shot, but he's a player... I mean, if you get him the ball, do you want him to be in a position to score with it? Because, you know, despite his size and, you know, he's about point guard size, he really is not a guy who's going to be running your offense at all or creating for others. But, you know, we just we talked about upside. I mean, what do you uh, what are you guys expecting to see from him next season as far as improvement goes?
1: Tommy had a lot of thoughts on the matter. You want to take this one away?
0: I I really just want to see him shoot the ball
2: more and continue to find different ways to shoot the ball. Like this is one of those things. Again, we talked about this with Sadiq Bay. He was really good on the catch and shoot, but we want to see him come off, come around screens, catch the ball, put it up. And I think he has all the tools And the I think he displayed a little bit of that already this past season. So just increasing the volume and continuing to shoot the ball. I think he finished the season over 40% from three, if I remember that correctly. Uh, maintain those numbers. I think he's found his role. I don't know how much upside there is there, but a guy who shoots the ball that well is going to get closed out on hard. And if he can learn to attack the basket, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the most physical guy. But if he can attack the basket a little bit more, and if he's not going to get all the way to the rim, kick it out to somebody who's open on the perimeter, that's how you get things going. That's how you generate offense. But at the same time, Frank Jackson catch and shoot three, that's not a bad shot. So no, just expanding his arsenal. And uh continuing to shoot the ball well. That's all you need from Frank, especially on the contract that he's on. You don't expect too much from him.
1: Yeah, you nailed just play it. Player role. Yeah, I th- I think you nailed it, Tommy. I think he needs to keep doing what he's doing. If he improves his offensive repertoire, that's great. That's just the cherry on top of an already very nice contract. But if he does what he's doing and does so at a higher volume, what a steal for the money that we're paying him. I'm I'm I'm
0: excited. I don't know. Yeah, I Expect him fully to be the best Frank in the NBA as a joke, but he probably will be. I mean, his uh, his his competition is Frank Kaminsky, Frank Mason, and Frank uh, Natila, uh, Natila Kina, uh, none of whom are good players. So, yeah, as far as catch and shoot, I mean, Frank on, on pure catch and shoots last season, a three-game, uh, upwards of 44%, actually. That's excellent. So the, the thing I would say about higher volume is that you know, if he's taking shots, it means that other players are not taking shots. Uh, whatever the case, uh, he was actually a very a pretty darn high usage player last season when he was on the floor. So he was he was taking quite a few shots. I don't really know if there, there are going to be a great deal more to go around. But even if he just comes off the off the bench and, and gives you some spacing, I mean that's I mean it, it's it, it helps. The fact that he can shoot around screens helps, even if he's not doing it, because that's another thing the defense has to account for. So. I think he can easily provide $3 million in value and maybe he's a long-term guy. I don't think he'll be a big role guy though. All right. So uh, moving on to Mr. Diallo. So as I, so as as I said earlier in the show, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I don't know, believer is the right way to put it. I'm a, I'm a believer in his potential as hyper athletic guy who's already very good at attacking the basket. He's got, Decent court vision. He can pass it if he's attacking the rim and uh, there's just too much help, uh, too much help defense. He can find the open man who's cutting or sometimes along the perimeter. And if he gets a shot together, and I don't think his shot is broken, so if he gets a shot together, then he can just explosively attack closeouts. Well, number one, he's not a spacing liability anymore, and being a spacing liability is very bad. And number two, he he can attack closeouts. You know this guy is so fast and so explosive that it's unlikely help is even going to get there. And um, if he can shoot pull up threes, it's like, well, cool. Now you have to face guard him, and he's going to going to blow past you. That's a lot to ask. Defensively, he's got work to do. But yeah, I, I think on offense, if if you if you're really looking for the number two and number three guy and a really good offense, and you're not going to find him from outside, I think that Diallo is going to give you the highest chance of being that guy. Yeah, Hamadou is just—he's just fun to watch. I agree with everything you just
2: said. Like Hamadou is probably the best example, or one of the best examples of—if only this guy could shoot threes, because, you know, you see it with the way the defense treats him. They're gonna take that extra step back. They're gonna leave him some room because they know if you—if you play him close, he's gonna blow past you. He has just such a great first step, and in, 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 then in transition, like, he just has another gear. And it's so fun to watch when you when you rewatch his highlights or when you just watch him in games because, like, if he has the ball on the break, it's like, he literally shifts gears. He just takes off and it's really fun to watch. But yeah, as far as like last season, like, yeah, super fun to watch. And then I really liked how fearless he was attacking the basket because he clearly believes in his athleticism and he does not shy away from contact at all. And that's in the half court, that's on the break. Like he's willing to bump guys and he can control the ball that way. And he just believes it. he has that strength to him. So Continuing to take advantage of that, I, I think if we're talking about what we want to see from him next year, uh, keep using that strength, it's functional strength, and then, uh, like you said, the three-point shooting, like if he can just get somewhere with it, if he could do 35% on catch-and-shoot threes, uh, the defense will have to start respecting that, and that would be huge, because then he's a perimeter target. He's not going to be that guy who's aggressively moving around on 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 the perimeter. He's not. He's probably not going to be the guy that you set off ball screens for because that still takes time, you know, to set yourself balance out and get that shot off. But if he can just be a guy who's in the corner and is a target there, he's not a spacing liability anymore, uh, and things get a lot easier down low, and it would open up his entire game because he's very good in a lot of different things. But if he doesn't have that spacing, a lot of that becomes more difficult.
1: Yeah, no, I I love what you said, Tommy, about how Hamadou is a big believer in his own athleticism because that really shines through when you watch him play. He's he's a very confident and and charismatic player. Like I, it's 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 hard to articulate, but when you watch him, you can sort of see this almost swagger that he plays with. Like he knows that he's an elite athlete. He knows that he can blow by guys pretty much at will, and if he can sort of. Bring all of this together and, and like you said, shoot threes at a respectable clip. And, and I tend to be in agreement with Mike. I don't think that his three-point shot is broken. I think uh, mechanically it looks, I don't know, all right. Um, I have every confidence that eventually at some point he can be a respectable three-point shooter if he isn't already. Um, but in terms of just bringing it all together, yeah, I, I completely agree. He, he showed out um, uh, last season. I think he did a very, very good job. And I think long-term, he can continue to do a good job if he just improves that one aspect of his game. And I'm extremely excited to see him play with Cade as well, Ex- extraordinarily so. I know, Tommy, you mentioned his transition game where it seems like he just snaps his fingers and then he's moved into another gear. I think Cade is an underrated transition player as well. We saw this um, when he pickpocketed Jalen Green in the summer league, went up, was about to get blocked by two guys, and then just kind of dumped it off to Sekou for the easy dunk. I could see some nice lobs running in transition from Cade to Hamadou. And Hami's got a really good nose for the basket as well. So I trust him to find those soft spots in the defensive coverage and be in the right place at the right time for some easy cleanup baskets too. So overall, I'm high on him last season. I'm high on him moving forward.
2: Yeah, I'm really happy that you brought up the lobs because one of the things I think this roster is missing for next year is a, a lob threat. And there are a few guards in the NBA or like wing players in the NBA who actually are lob threats and can be that consistently. I think Hamadou could be one of those guys because he does like cutting to the rim and looking for those opportunities. He had a nice finish from uh, Killian this season. More of that because if, if if Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olinick really are spacing threats, maybe the lane is open and maybe that is a potential target uh, for Cade and Killian uh, to throw lobs to because it's one of the most fun plays in basketball. I, I legitimately would miss it. So I, I hope
0: we see more of that, and that would definitely be something I would like to see more of next year. It's not just a matter of it being exciting. That's an important option to have. The more options you have on offense, the more successful you're going to be. And, and Diallo, Diallo is a fantastic weeper. I mean, I know the dunk contest, the dunk contest, but this is a guy who dunked. He jumped over Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> you know, And for anybody who wants to say he put his hand on Shaq's back, uh, I've got, I've got two responses to that number one, he still jumped over Shaq <laughs> and, and number two, he barely got lift off it. He actually put it uh, kind of on, on Shaq's middle back. He didn't push off his shoulder. And so it's just an indication of how, uh, of how athletic he is. I, I'm pretty sure he got, he did, uh, also the Vince Carter thing of, uh, you know, on that dunk, having, the rim and the crook of his elbow. So, yep. Whatever the yep, case. He, he ripped his jersey open. And he, had the, he
2: jumped over Shaq and then pulled out the Superman logo. That was
0: wild. That was yeah. nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, my my question would be, and also worth worth noting that Diallo, even right now, can, at least with the Pistons he did, quite effectively create offense off the dribble just in terms of driving to the basket. And the guy's also just strong as an ox. You hit him midair, you're not really going to move him very much that's also just real valuable. My question is assuming he gets like, let's say he gets himself up to a reliable, we're talking reliable, uh, 36, 37% on catch and shoots. Do you think that makes him the starting shooting guard for the Pistons? That actually kind of ties
2: into the que- uh, question that I was going to present to you. I don't know if you want me to just like kind of mention it, just but let it fly. Man. I was, I was going to ask, like, I guess it's really more of a two horse race, but Frank Jackson or Hamadou Diallo, like if, let's say Corey Joseph and Killian Hayes, 20 games in the season, that's your bench uh, backcourt. You have to pick Hamadou Diallo, J- Frank Jackson, or Josh Jackson to uh, play as the two next to Cade. Who would you
1: pick? I would pick Diallo, no question. I- I'm not sure if Mike agrees with me, but I think that um, we've talked about this quite a bit, you know, that uh, if there's one thing that this uh, projected starting lineup is lacking is athleticism. And Diallo pretty much instantly solves that issue because between him and Grant, that's at least two plus athletes on the floor at all times. I think he complements Cade really well in the transition game, uh, as I'd already mentioned. He adds what what Mike had said too, just the lob threat. You know, you have more offensive versatility, keep opposing defenses on their toes. That's just good for your offense in general. And if we're forced to start one of these guys, I feel like it would behoove the organization to. Uh, choose the player who, in my opinion, has the best or highest potential long-term upside, and that is Diallo, because if they're forced to be in that starting role, you may as well see what you've got in them long-term. So for those reasons, I would go Diallo.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, well, I'm going to answer Mike's question because he had a he had a specific set of, I guess, qualifications for this one. Um, I guess you're considering, do you want uh, Hamadou to start? over Killian in this case and I, I it's no secret on this show. I'm I'm not the biggest believer in Killian Hayes, at least not right now. So if Hamadou is shooting thirty six percent from three, yeah. I think that reliably shooting thirty six percent from three, I think that would be contingent on him not having like long stretches where he's like shooting really poorly and then he gets hot for a few games. You know, I think that's a factor too. But if 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 Hamidou can really do that, yeah, uh, this team kind of lacks athleticism in the front court and back court. So uh, getting that anywhere would be really, really helpful. But if I had to make the call as things stand right now, I would honestly pick Frank Jackson to start at the two just because of the movement. And I think he's a better fit next to Cade overall. I don't think it's the long-term solution, but in terms of the way this team is developing, I still think this team really lacks their long-term solution at the two. Um, I would pick Frank as of right now.
0: Yeah, I... Well, there's one thing I want to clarify. Yeah, you can look at Diallo's stats, and it'll tell you always shot, I think, 39% from three with the Pistons. It's worth noting that he made 16 threes with the Pistons over the course of, geez, I think, 20-something games, and six of those were over the course of two games. So on <laughs> all the rest of me, he didn't shoot well. Uh, also, yeah. if we're looking at that, but Josh Jackson, a great deal of his threes came over the space of... A very small number of a relatively small number of games in which he really caught fire. So his three point percentage, which was already bad, is even worse, you know, practically speaking, because the vast majority of the time he was just a terrible shooter rather than just merely bad. But when it comes to Hamadou, okay, so you say him versus Frank Jackson. I think you have to look at, well, I know you have to look at players in terms of not only what they're offering, but the. So not just what they're offering, but not only what they're offering on the ball, but what they're offering to you off the ball, just in terms of options overall, how the defense needs to respect them, uh, what your other players can do with them. So f- what Frank provides is, a, you know, he's a good spacer. He can run around screens and take threes. I mean, that's, that's valuable. We saw it with Wayne Ellington last season. We see it with plenty of players. I mean, Clay Thompson is the number one example of this, of course. And that, that's just a very valuable option to have. So I would still go with Diallo because it's another guy in your offense who can create offense off the dribble. Very important skill to have. He's hyper-athletic. If he slashes through a lane, he's almost certainly going to get a basket. And he's a lob threat. He's an excellent cutter. He is just, yeah, I mean, if he can shoot threes, you get the guy to attack a closeout. You're very likely to uh, going to get a basket for somebody else. And that athleticism in the starting lineup is very important. I mean, it's it's not an overrated quality. It is very important to have. And right now, the Pistons' starting lineup projects to be pretty darned unathletic. And having those explosive all-ball movers is very important. When it comes to versus Killian, I would still say, reliable, 36%, 37%. He's more valuable than Killian, in my opinion. But, and we can talk about we'll talk about this at a later date, it's the concern over overlap between Killian and Cade. That's also something to think about.
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, we've kind of we've kind of effectively asked two questions that are like halfway related. They're both kind of centered on Hamadou. But I guess your question is more, you know, it includes Killian Hayes because I think we all want him to be the long-term solution. We all want him to get those reps. Mine kind of quantifies it as, all right, Killian's not working right now. I mean, he didn't have the best summer league showing, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he really struggles as a starter. And that's why I kind of like quantified it as, qualified it as, uh, you bring it, you make this decision like 20 games in. But if I, if, if Hamid and that actually kind of works because I think if Hamadu is kind of proven within the first 20 games that he's reliably knocking down like catch and shoot threes or just threes in general at 36, 37%, he's hitting, he's hitting that league average. He's affecting the way that guys defend him and close out on him. Um, If your question is, like, do you want Killian to start at the 2, Hamadou to start at the 2, or Frank Jackson to start at the 2, I definitely think that 20 games in, you're kind of looking at three-point percentage, how well they play next to Cade, because I think by then uh, Cade should be the primary ball handler. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's still playing a little bit off ball, but um, I guess it would kind of be dependent on that.
0: I would say I can just go back to athleticism. I mean, sure, you have some teams that are not particularly athletic in terms of the starting lineup and still do well, but if you look at the quality of those teams, you can see that all of them have one thing in common, and that's – well, not all of them. There are very few teams like that, rather. I don't know why I'm thinking all of them. There's only one team I'm looking at that actually really qualifies for that in that respect. That is the Jazz. Their starting lineup of Conley, Mitchell – Bogdanovich, uh, Royce O'Neal, and um, and Rudy Gobert. So yeah, not particularly athletic. Uh, I mean, Donovan Mitchell, of course, is an explosive athlete. Mike Conley is no slouch, though he's not really great. And, and Bogdanovich and, and Royce O'Neal are nothing special. But you have Rudy Gobert, who is just a perpetual lob threat. I mean, did you put it up there, he's a good leaper. He's got an incredible wingspan, and he's going to throw it down. So if you don't, and if you look at basically everybody else, uh, you've got a, a pretty darn athletic lineup up and down. <laughs> like, you look at the Suns, you've got like, Chris Paul isn't a great athlete, but you've got Booker, uh, you've got Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder's an athletic guy, and of course, DeAndre Ayton. The Sixers are a super athletic team. The Nets don't really need to be really athletic, but they still pretty much are. But you look at any team that's got that much talent, they've done the meta. So. I think that if you if you keep killing Hayes in the starting lineup, if he if he falls well into that role of just a secondary playmaker who shoots threes on high volume, then I think you basically have to kick Sadiq Bay out of the starting lineup, unless you have unless Isaiah t- unless Isaiah Stewart has been replaced by a better athlete. Isaiah is quick enough. He is not a good leaper. He's not really a traditionally athletic player. And having a guy who can catch those lobs is very very helpful, and who can really roll super hard at the basket. So if it's Killian and Cade and and Isaiah Stewart and Grant and Sadiq Bay, that is not an athletic lineup, and there is no WAP threat there. So I think, yeah, if it's Killian, yeah, I don't think you can, I don't think you can keep both Bay and Isaiah Stewart in that lineup long term.
2: That is fair. I think that it's good. I mean that that that's an that's a whole other discussion, I guess, but it does kind of it does factor in when you're considering, you know, do you need the athleticism of Ahmed Diallo or do you want the spacing of Frank Jackson?
0: Yeah. It's a long-term question. I mean, exactly.
2: We're just, we're just just spit, you know, we're we're taking more and more steps back, trying to figure out the best way to. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, but I guess like if, like if we're quantifying it as 20 games in Killian's not working out, I think that's when you're starting to ask this question because I think everybody again, wants Killian to be that long-term starter. I personally wouldn't do it. Um, at least not to start this season, I think he should get reps against uh, reduced competition and get his confidence up. Uh, But say 20 games in, your choices are Hamadou and his athleticism, and you bank on maybe he gets his shot together or Frank Jackson, his movement, his uh, acuity off ball. I'm going with Frank Jackson. Uh, I know the athleticism isn't there, but I think he's a much better target for Cade. Or the defense, (laughs) the defense. Yeah, that's a factor, but I really don't think that we're figuring to be a great defensive team. Um, I think they're going to try. I mean, mean, in the starting lineup, yes, there's a lot of good defense, but between, I mean, on the bench at least, like I think they're going to they're going to blow some leads. They have Kelly O'Linick, they have Frank Jackson. uh, They figured to have Frank Jackson, then Corey Joseph. Like, I I, I really don't think this is our year. Yeah, I mean, that's something that Frank could work on certainly, but I think that. The offense of Frank Jackson would just make up for it. And again, Sadiq Bey, I mean, he has, he projects as a guy who can add those skills, but at least at Summer League, he really struggled with anything that wasn't catch and shoot. And I'm not worried about that at all. But I think having that uh, on the perimeter is very, very valuable and more valuable than Hamadou uh, if he can't space the floor. So, yeah. Well, that's I guess if Hamadou can't, can't space the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it does go back to your question of if Hamadou is hitting a certain number. Uh, maybe that's the tipping point, but for me, the way that Hamadou projects right now with his shooting, his volume, um, I don't think it's quite worth it yet, especially not next to Cade. So I would go Frank Jackson.
0: Well, here's the issue then. If Bay is what he is, and I believe that Bay is more or less what he is, uh, I don't. I think he's a player who came in with a high floor. I think he exhibited that high floor and that he can shoot threes pretty well. 38% is in the leads, but just on the catch and shoot, standard catch and shoot uh he had two is above 40%. He can play defense. He makes the right play. And that's fine if he doesn't really become substantially more than that. But if that's what he is next season and you have Frank Jackson, and that's what Frank Jackson is as well. These are just two guys who are not really going to give you a great deal beyond the perimeter. That kind of nerfs your offense. I don't think you really want more than one guy who can only operate on the perimeter. So like if Diallo has a shot together, it just like you Sure, you have, you have Bay who's just the guy whose only job is to get open. That's his, that that's his role in the offense is just get open and shoot threes. And then I, I just think you're better off versus two guys who are, uh, who are more just more or less just going to be doing the same thing and just hanging out around the perimeter. And you can only choose one. I guess, you know, have to only choose one, but if you're working with Frank, you really, <laughs> you basically, you give somebody the ball and let him run around screens back and forth until you hand it off to him or just make a short pass.
2: Yeah. I feel like it's worth mentioning that Dante has stepped away. Uh he wasn't able to finish this out with because by now he would be he would he would be defending Sadiq Bey pretty hard right now if he was here. But um yeah, I guess that's a good point because yeah, the lineup figures to be Jeremy Grant, Isaiah Stewart, who has his own deficiencies, and then Cade Cunningham. Uh I guess I really do like the idea of Cade having Know, four legitimate spacing threats around him. I think that the offense there would be much prettier, especially than it was in the summer league and at Oklahoma state. So that's kind of like what I envision in terms of like the long term around Cade. And that's pretty important to me.
0: Of course. But,
2: but yeah, I guess at that point I would almost rather have, I would almost rather look for a replacement for Stewart at that point. Cause like I, I know Sadiq, Uh, Probably offers less, but I think I don't, I'm still not sold on Isaiah Stewart uh, as a long-term solution at the five. I just think that he needs to be more of a lob threat or at least more of a threat off an entry pass. I mean, he was okay in the post. And once he has position, he was actually pretty good at putting the ball into the hoop, but um, having more athleticism, it's an interesting conversation. I feel like we're almost going to go in circles with it. So I guess right now I would just, to finish it off, I would go with Frank Jackson for right now. If we have to replace the two, and if Killian Hayes isn't working out there, but I see what you're saying about Hamadou. I think you make valid points there.
0: Yeah, I think if you want to fully unlock Cade, you do need that spacing. Of course, you know any any player is going to benefit from playing with four shooters. You know any any ball handling player, but if you want to maximize him, you also need guys who are going to be able to move well off the ball. If you can provide him with a lob threat fantastic. That's another option. And you're fielding two guys who can do nothing but shoot. And I, I know that, that Frank Jackson can move off the ball and, and catch it in stride. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's no slouch as a leaper. He's not a lob He's, he's a guy who can score at the basket. We'll put it that way if it's created for him, but you have two guys who are primarily just operating around the perimeter. And your third one is Isaiah Stewart. Then like, basically it's down to Jeremy Grant to move off the ball. And that's not enough. That's what I would say. I know you said you're not sold on Stewart, but generally your center is not going to be like a, a big in general. And this isn't always the case. Generally not going to be like a prime mover off the ball. Some guys can, but you really want guys who are going to be moving effectively in the interior to take advantage for what Cade will hopefully be this, this heliocentric creator who will ideally draw a lot of attention on the way to the basket. And if two of his guys are Frank Jackson and Sadiq Bey, you know, where's that really going to get you? Yeah. I I mean, I think if
2: you're looking at the upper end outcome of both of those guys, like they're moving around off ball, they're reliably knocking like 41 plus percent from three. I don't know. I guess you do need more talent and I don't know if you have more to say on this, but $30 $30 million next year. I don't know if the Bulls are going to supermax Zach Levine. That dream is still alive. So,
0: I'd say we'll the Bulls, <laughs> I'd say there are two options. They either trade him. Uh, it's not supermax. I mean, he'd have to make an all-NBA team to get the supermax. I don't think, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but as things currently appear, I don't think he's going to make all-NBA, so it would be a standard max. I also think the Bulls, given that they're going to be capped out, would be absolutely insane not to max him. Even if it's going to leave them with a the team, and I believe this is where the Bulls are right now with the second round ceiling, I don't yeah. think highly of DeRozan's <laughs> fit there at all. I think this is a guy you paid a lot of money uh, to to come onto a roster that is now going to be less than the sum of its parts. But I, yeah, think, I think they'll have one or two good years. I think they. I, I don't think they have a choice unless he wants to leave. I'm pretty sure they're giving them the max. I, I, I don't I don't see any situation in which they just say, no, we're just going to roll with Vucevic and DeRozan and Lonzo Ball and maybe make the first round. So, yeah, I've gone on record as, as saying that I don't think Levine would be an ideal fit with Kate either uh, because Levine is such a heavily on-ball player. But again, it's something you think about when next season comes around and you see who's available. But, like, yeah, I just... I just don't I just don't think you can really make uh, maximize Cade with just guys who can't really effectively move off the ball and I don't think Bay I don't think that's not that they can not effectively do it but I just they're not guys who are like, going to make cuts to the basket and be major threats for Jackson more than Bay. And Bay can really only cut baseline at the moment. Yeah. But and these are not ob- yeah. obviously
2: these aren't the only options around Cade. They played him a lot off ball in summer league and there are other ball handlers on this team. And I'm sure we'll talk about them presumably in the next episode. So uh,
0: there are yeah. other options. There are other options. They played him off the ball. I mean, the more I think about it, the more annoyed I get. And <laughs> you can take into account that, yeah, the guy clearly wasn't in game shape. He spent a fair amount of time just around the perimeter, like late in games, looking exhausted. I know Dwayne Casey mentioned that the cave wasn't in game shape, and I'm sure that'll change. I'm sure he'll come into the week, uh, into the regular season, also stronger in general, uh, physically stronger. But I feel like so much of it was just dedicated to, oh, let's make sure we get the reps for Killian. Let's make sure we get the reps for Saban Lee. And I know it's only summer league, but I'm kind of concerned that they're going to do that in the regular season as well and just say, oh, we want to try to, or at least with Killian and uh, and Kate, is like, we want to try to maximize both these guys. Oh, look, we drafted Killian seventh overall. We want to try to get the most out of him we possibly can. So we're going to play him on the ball more. And it's like, it's like... Uh, I just, I, I really am concerned about how that will go because I think the chances of Killian being as uh, you know, if, if Kate is what everybody hopes him to be, I think that the chances of Killian being as equal as a ball handler are very slim. Yeah. So I think like here's, here's another thing. Sure. You have those two guys on the perimeter. Sure. You can shoot upwards of 40%. If you have Frank Jackson and Bay, there. great. But the guy who's going to help, uh, who's going to help uh, in terms of ideally if Kate draws gravity on the way to the basket is probably the center. And then your option is to give it to Isaiah Stewart, who's not a lot threat. Where do you yeah. go from there?
2: Yeah, it's, there's definitely questions. And honestly, like just going back to what you said about um, you, you, you'd be concerned if they, if they do that in the regular season, I would not be surprised at all. And I wouldn't be upset about it. honestly, and I'm sure we'll talk about in the, that in the next episode. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean,
0: is, do you have any more to say about the, the guys that we talked about tonight? Uh, not particularly. I mean, what just keeps coming to mind with Josh Jackson is like, where do the minutes come from at this point? Yeah. and Yeah, I would not be surprised yeah. if he's the odd man out. Yeah, I would say that if Diallo comes in and, and, and certainly shows improvement from the perimeter – whatever the case, I mean, Josh is going to have to come in and be kind of close to a knockdown three point shooter in order to stay in the rotation. Yep. You know, and that's, he was a flyer. I'm still look back and I say it was absolutely the right decision for the Pistons to say, you know what, this guy has a lot of potential and we're going to give him a shot. Absolutely the right decision, but you know, he's fly for a reason. Flyers often don't work out. Yep. All right. So uh, that's going to be the end of this episode as always. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.